0: as usual jesse i just have uh, the imdb uh cast listen from me that's the only notes i work off of i expect dave to do the bulk of the research for this so Jesus. i assume dave you read the uh first draft of the screenplay production notes watch the film a couple times
1: i watched the west wing isn't that
0: good <laughs> enough sure i'm sure it's the same
2: You're right. I haven't read it. If someone had asked me yesterday, I would have told them that the Quebec conference was made up of six professional hockey teams. (laughs) But what I do know is that it's time for the president to run for president again. Leon Kodak is as good as it gets when it comes to electoral strategy, and I'm certain he's told the president exactly what i tell him. you got to nail down Michigan and California, where they make cars and airplanes and they burn plenty of fossil fuels. But if I'd read these 800 pages, I would have discovered that it's the burning of fossil fuels which is mostly responsible for global warming, and that the 20% reduction recommended by the GDC is a necessary first step toward arresting the catastrophic greenhouse effect, which has gone unchecked by this administration. It's really Susan, I promise you the White House chief of staff will not let us leave here until he's broken the bad news. I'm afraid Sidney's right, although not about Michigan and California. The president has asked me to convey to you that he's sending his energy bill to the floor with a call for a 10% reduction. Now, the president is willing to go it alone on this, but he's asking for and Frankly, he's expecting the full support of the GDC. The president's expecting our full support. Yes, he is. The president's dreaming, AJ. The president has critically misjudged reality. If he honestly thinks that the environmental community is going to whistle a happy tune while rallying support around this pitifully lame mockery of environmental leadership just because he's a nice guy and he's done better than his predecessors, then your boss is the chief executive of Fantasyland.
3: Let's take him out back and beat the shit out of him. Good Good morning, Mr. President. How are you today? Couldn't be better. My apologies for the interruption. AJ suggested I come by and say hello, you wouldn't be Sidney Ellen Wade by any chance, would you?
2: Mr. President, I am um, don't know what to say. I am
4: speechless. All evidence to the contrary. I'm actually watching the West Wing now.
0: <laughs> there you go. We've been topped.
4: Damn it. And listened to the West Wing weekly earlier, so I, I had to do prep for this. We're all over it. Oh, Jeez. I'm a sorkin file, man.
0: All right, so joining us this week is an Aaron Sorkin superfan, or at least he's led me to believe uh, Jesse, uh, has decided to join us in celebration, finally, of Molly's Game finally being released. We hope (laughs) we're recording a little bit in advance, so things could change. Uh, I hope not. But uh, since we are recording in advance and only one of us have seen Molly's Game, and I'm sure he'll bring that up a thousand times on this podcast, we had to go back to an older film of Aaron Sorkin's. (laughs) The American President, which is beloved by many, and also, I believe, was written while Mr. Sorkin was on crack cocaine, if my notes are correct. (laughs) So, um, none of us are, (laughs) as far as I know. Dave, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just applauding the man. I'm just applauding, you know, his ability to craft something like this. I I found that impressive. So, um, as I said, we do have a guest who knows a little bit more about Sorkin than... Uh, that uh, pithy little bit of trivia. So uh, Jesse, tell you our listeners a little bit about your podcast and uh, also about your love of
4: Aaron Sorkin. Well, uh, thanks for having me, but uh, um, yeah, Sorkin uh, pretty much is my entire identity, I think on politics. So it's, it's all his fault. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually one of the hosts of field of screams, which is a uh, true crime and sports podcast where it just focuses on the dumb shit athletes do mainly. Um, the serial killers that exist bombings, all that kind of stuff um we've been doing it since uh we're about three or four months in three comedians out of Tallahassee and it's a kind of a it's a weird show it's definitely a niche market, but we love doing it
0: now were you a fan <laughs> of a true crime podcast before you started this one, or did that just oh yeah someone just stumble oh, okay'cause yeah. that that's something that's a little bit different from most of the other uh the, the very popular subgenre of true crime podcasts.
4: Uh, well, the lad po- last podcast on the left was kind of our inspiration, uh, being three comedians, and then we just all happened to be huge sports fans as well. And it just made sense to try to find our own niche um, and something we were knowledgeable about and able to still do the true crime thing.
0: I really wish we could have had you on for Moneyball to tie in a little bit better to mm-hmm. the sports angle and the Sorkin angle, but it's a little difficult to find the romance there unless it's. Uh, the abusive relationship, I guess, that Brad Pitt has with baseball, the sport itself. But uh, other than that, I was, I was not going to get into that awkward encounter he has with Spike Jones and his uh, ex-wife. I didn't think we could make a whole episode out of that. So we're going to do the American president <laughs> instead. So uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to get into this one. This one, I, I already know that me and my co-hosts have different takes on because I think I've seen this, as I was telling my wife earlier or actually last night, I was like, Oh, I got to watch the American president again. And she was like, Oh, again, huh? And I'm like, Oh yeah, about, I've seen this about a hundred times. And I just love to <laughs> listen primarily to Michael J. Fox give awesome speeches, very neurotic speeches, but just <laughs> like with a lot of Sorkin material, really great stuff. But classic Dave, Sorkin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely going back. Uh, I guess the only way it could be more classic would be what? A few good men as far as in movie terms, uh, to go a little bit earlier, but yeah, uh Dave. And this Broadway. Is... Yeah, we're not gonna go that far. I'm not I'm not that uh <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm not that in the know. I'm here in Kentucky, so sorry, that's sorry. my limits, a few good men. Uh Dave, this is your first time. So before we get into the relationship angle, uh thoughts on this, your first experience with the American president.
1: Yeah, you know what? If you had told me, you know, you're gonna watch this movie that
0: Aaron Sorkin wrote a romantic
1: comedy uh and you're gonna love it, I would have been really surprised because I like Aaron Sorkin a lot. But romantic comedy is not exactly his wheelhouse. Um, and obviously, as you watch this, you can see this the West Wing. But I think this movie really works just as a romantic comedy itself. I really enjoyed my time with it. I, th- I thought it was great. I thought it was everything a romantic comedy should be. It was light. It was enjoyable. You cared about both the, the
0: romantic leads. It was good stuff. I'm glad you brought up the romantic leads because that's what we do here on the show. So that's a natural transition. I should probably name the characters here for the people yeah. that have not seen it. The uh, You're welcome. You yeah. Know, the, the, <laughs> the freaks like you out there who have not seen this great film. So uh, we have Martin Sheen, but he's not playing the president. This time it's Michael Douglas as Andrew Shepard. And it is about this relationship that he forms uh, as a widower, uh, first time dating uh, as the president. And he meets a lobbyist played by Annette Bening, uh Sydney Ellen Wade, who has been hired by this uh, environmental group. And uh, the meat here is her taking the president to task for his inaction, uh, thinking that he's <laughs> not in the room when he walks in behind her, which is kind of tropey, especially for comedies. And uh, she, she really dresses him down uh, before he makes his presence known. And that's about the extent of the meet cute, because it seems pretty quickly that our president here decides that he likes, uh, the cut of her jib, really. It just, I guess he just likes, as he says in the film later on her sass (laughs) and decides to, uh, pursue some sort of relationship with, uh, Sydney. Um, maybe it's just professional at first, but that's something that I think I always forget about this film is how quickly he seems to take a liking to her with not, much background. He doesn't seem to know too much about her, even though she's in the political sphere. So we'll start with our mm-hmm. Sorkin uh, expert. Jesse, what do you make of the Meat Cute here? And do you like that Andrew Shepard is so immediate in his pursuit of Miss Wade?
4: Well, along with it being a classic romantic uh, trope, as you say, it's a classic Sorkin trope. The first episode of The West Wing actually starts with people arguing about something and the president walking in without them noticing and having a huge speech. Uh, so it's a very similar scene. Um, obviously a bit more uh, flirty as he takes it when he goes to the Oval office. Um, oh. And also changing the scenery like that, the walk and talk is also very Sorkin-y. Um, and I loved it. Uh, it's classic. I just wish it was Martin Sheen doing the delivery. But hmm. um, not the hugest Michael Douglas fan. Um, and it's hard for me as a Sorkin uh, addict to see... The President Bartlett being something other than President Bartlett, uh, especially when you watch Frank and Grace, it gets real weird. Um, if you don't get that <laughs> reference, I apologize. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Mike doesn't and, watch
4: Netflix. He's, he's Well, okay, he so in, <laughs> in Grace and Frankie, the President Bartlett is gay with Sam Elliott, and it is uh, – Yes. Why
0: is Netflix is. not putting this at the top? Of my, why are they not advertising? Like I should know that. No, what? it's it's not Sam Elliott. It's uh, it's Sam Waterston. Sam Waterston. So sure. that's too why. Excited. That's why Sam but Elliott's yeah, Sam. in the ranch. Oh uh, no! Another Netflix. Yeah. Show. <laughs> that's why no one cares. <laughs>
4: it's just- Still, Sam. I mean, I'm like, well, why is the guy from Law and Order with the president? And it, it's it gets weird. Hey. <laughs> the the one I think the one thing about how quickly it moves is like my I had my wife watch it um with me because I'd watched it, you know, hundreds of times already. And she's like, Why is it move so fast? This is this is really strange. Like mm-hmm. he, he's always oh, just gonna move that quickly. He's the president, he's just gonna like say, F it, and I'm gonna go for it. But yeah, maybe out of character a little bit for a president.
0: The movie itself is really fast. I mean it I mean it's still almost two hours, but uh I feel like every time I watch it. And maybe it's because uh, somewhat what you allude to, if you're a West Wing fan and you're uh, reappraising this, uh, you're used to long character arcs. And this, you know, the whole relationship at a certain point does start to feel like a montage, especially when we get into the, um, the decline of it, the attacks that this relationship gets from the outside, uh, which is basically handled with. Um, coverage from televisions and, you know, just different little clips of them appearing together, like through a window having a dinner date and just the journalists peering outside, which is kind of creepy. Uh, but I think I, I like that the flirtation here is expedited. What, what about you, Dave? I like that the president knows what he wants and goes after it.
1: Yeah. I kind of like that too. I like how immediately flirty it is. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about movies that sometimes survive on the charm of the lead actors. And it's one of those. I think if you have some, someone other than Michael Douglas that it might come off just a little bit creepy and a little bit too aggressive, but even the way he enters the room like he kind of he lets everyone else in the room know that he's there, and to not let her know because he kind of wants to play this trick on her for whatever reason. And it's cute, and it works. And you move off into the into the Oval Office. Like it is, I like I like the interaction between them. I think you can see the spark right away. And if I can see the spark as the, as the audience member, why are we wasting time? We might we might as well expedite this. So I'm glad they don't kind of dance around it too much and they bring it up right away.
0: One thing I thought about, especially given the, the certain – the climate we're in, in particular with, with Hollywood, is the possible abuse of power here. And that seems to be something that was at the forefront of mm. Sorkin's mind when he's is writing this, this president trying to get a first date because you see Shepard bring up multiple times. He right. tries to normalize basically how weird it would be to be on the receiving end of right. flirtation with the president like you – that's my ride outside. It's a helicopter. Uh, well, you take how her do to- you say no to a date? <laughs> yeah, take her to the to the rec room, which is the Oval Office. Like It seems like the way he's trying to handle the possible <laughs> intimidating factors here is to just get them all out in the open and then make a joke about it as quickly as possible. And I do find that pretty charming. Mm-hmm. I, I think they sidestep something there that could have been troubling, which is, yeah, how do you say no to a date with the president to this guy? <laughs>
2: Uh, I just came over to tell you why I can't see you anymore.
3: Come on in. Thanks, Coop.
2: Uh, look, I know you've had a tough day. Well,
3: not as tough as some. Would you like a drink? Here, let me take your coat. Mr.
2: President, this isn't going to work.
3: Well, sure it will. You button the top button and it won't fall off the hanger. Th- that's
2: not what I mean. I didn't Listen, think it Listen, I really enjoyed but... the time that we've spent together, but this has catastrophe written all over it. <laughs> Please, Mr. President... Don't pursue me outside the political arena.
3: Well, I have no intention of pursuing you inside the political arena. That leaves everything out, and that's unacceptable to me.
2: If I were on your staff, I would tell you that the absolute worst thing you can do coming into an election year is to open yourself up to character attacks. And the quickest way to do that is to prance around like the playboy of the Western world.
3: Well, let's clear up a couple of things here. Number one, I seldom prance. Number two, I have no intention of engaging in a character debate. Number three... You're not on my staff.
2: Yes, of course, but if you'll follow the immutable...
3: Why is that, by the way? Please. Why is what? Why aren't you on my staff? You can't afford me. How much do you make? More than you do, Mr. President. The name is Andy. How much money do you make?
2: What the hell does it matter how much money I make?
3: You raise your voice to the
2: president? (sighs) I'm only thinking about the health of your presidency. You know this morning's press conference isn't going to be the end of this. Bob Rumson's got to be drooling over this. Are you attracted to me? I beg your pardon?
3: I asked if you were attracted to me.
2: That's not the issue.
3: Well, I tell you what, let's make it the issue. Let's try something new because I know that most couples when they first get together are inclined to slam on the brakes because they're concerned about Bob Rumson's drool.
2: You're not most people. Do you know what your problem is? What's my problem?
3: Sex and nervousness.
2: Sex and nervousness is my problem?
3: Yes, Last night, when we were looking at those place settings in the dishroom, I realized those place settings were provided by the First Ladies, and I'll bet none of those First Ladies were nervous about having sex with their president husbands. And do you know why?
2: No, but I'm sure you'll explain it to me.
3: I will. Because they weren't presidents when they first met them. That's not the case here. Ah. You see what I'm getting at?
2: Yes. May I use your bathroom for a moment?
3: Go right through there, right behind you.
2: I just want to freshen up.
3: And as you pass through, you'll see a large closet on the right. And if you feel comfortable, hang up your coat. And when you come back, I'll affix us a drink. We'll sit on the couch and I will explain to you my plan.
2: You got a plan? Don't make me wait. You're on a roll.
3: Okay, you're attracted to me. But the idea of physical intimacy is uncomfortable because you only know me as the president. But it's not always going to be that way. And the reason I know that is there was a moment last night when you were with me and not the president. And I know what a big step that was for you. So, Sydney, I'm in no rush. Here's my plan. We're going to slow down. And when you're comfortable, that's when it's going to happen. Perhaps I didn't properly explain the fundamentals of the slowdown plan.
2: No, you explained it great.
3: Are you nervous? No. Good. My nervousness exists on several levels. Number one, and this is in no particular order, I haven't done this in a pretty long time. Number two, uh, any expectations that you might have given the fact that i'm you know
2: the most powerful man in the world
3: exactly thank you i think it's important you remember that's a political distinction that comes with the office i mean if uh eisenhower were here instead of may he be dead by now and number
4: three Andy. i think she also plays it off well um as an uh, um as sydney Wade. uh she's not your traditional in these nineties rom-coms leading woman. She's not Julia Roberts or or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that works in the situation. I think it it makes it even more of a meet and cute because it's not the traditional looking couple. And I'm not trying to downplay her Mm -hmm. or her her beauty or anything like that, but I just think uh, she fits the role of what, what you would think that someone in that position would look like. Unlike if you would have put someone like Mm -hmm. uh, Julia Roberts or, um, I can't think of anybody else right now. In, in that, that early 90s, that trope, I think it would have been like, oh, of course. That's who he's going after. This made way more sense because it did seem more spontaneous.
0: It would have looked a little bit more like um version of like dress up. Like, ju- just not to hammer yes. Julia Roberts, but it's like, it's Julia Roberts as something political like you wouldn't really necessarily right. believe her position whereas Annette benning as you said beautiful woman but does seem like she's part of that world or could operate in that world right. and I do think that's important I also think it's important that she has to she has to play this stargazing part to a certain extent but then she has to like reclaim strength and they just make that a part of the character like they make that something that she has to constantly remind herself well, I'm talking to the fucking president, Well, I'm having dinner with the president, but then the character right. is like, I still have a job to do here. And it's, <laughs> it is a very cute concept, and I think it really works for a rom-com, because I, I like that. You know, it's not like an internal battle as far as will they or won't they, because I think Sorkin's smart enough here to have her out herself multiple times, being like, yeah, I'm into you, but this is a weird situation. And he says the same thing. Like, yeah, this right. is probably a bad idea, but I want to do it. I yeah. like that her whole
1: identity isn't just based on the romance. Like, Mike, you brought up the fact that she has a job to do, too. And they have these montages later in, later in the film where she's still doing her job and working really hard and expecting, you know, the, the president to stand by his word regardless of their relationships. Like, so she's doing her best to kind of keep those worlds separate and still, and still
0: do her job kind of on, on both of those going on at the same time. Dave, you have just uh, brought us to the breakup and since you're such a, you know, depressing man, you had to just you know, <laughs> expedite the flirtation process and the charming elements and get to the part where the characters on. are crying and uh, <laughs> feeling like a couple of failures. So, yeah, this is, uh, I, th- I believe this is the stuff that when I was reading about this film, uh, I-, I didn't know that this was Robert Redford's idea. Or I guess it was just his like. <laughs> as much as his idea was, hey, I'd like to play the president who is dating someone. Write a script for me about that. <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> gist it of done. what I read. Yeah, and uh, apparently when Rob Reiner came on the project, he was far more interested in um, injecting some political back and forth. And there's it's strange. Maybe even more so now, uh, in particular when it comes to the uh, the assault weapons and gun rights. i'd think this is probably even more of a hot button film than it was in in 93 yep does he say i'm gonna take the guns essentially that's i mean no, that's a point in this movie that, like, that's like the, the rousing out, rah-rah moment too and it's like oh, i don't know Great. i don't know if that plays as well today i don't but anyway <laughs> the uh yeah, we, we'll we just have to – I know we've already gotten some hate tweets from some crazy nutjob who thinks this is a political show. So we're just walking into well, that that's one. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was on our Forgetting Sarah Marshall episode. Goddamn so right. You are welcome, Come get Twitter nutjob. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but yeah, so Sydney, as we said, has a job to do. And uh, there is one moment where it seems a bit underhanded where the president is made aware of a way he could use her success at her job to benefit him uh, by doing a bit Mm -hmm. of political horse trading to get the votes that he needs for this crime bill that uh, will negate all the efforts she's made for this uh, environmental piece of legislation to be introduced. And um, I think this is one time where it doesn't feel trumped up. This would be something that Mm -hmm. would be incredibly painful if you felt this sense of betrayal from your, your partner Um, where the, the professional is meeting the personal because, um, is this almost ultimate devaluing of her as an individual? Like she, she states that she's now, she's now a punchline. She now has no political power or clout, and the way she's introduced in the film is with a lecture from Fraser Crane's dad saying, "Politics is perception." <laughs> and so, you know, or, or I should say, the the dad from Say Anything. I don't know if that's uh, he's a, he's also a little luxury in that. the better well. for
1: our show, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll get yeah. to say
0: anything one day. It won't just be the logo of our of our podcast. Uh, but yeah, this was one time where I'm like, oh, that's going to be tough to come back from. And I bet the only way you can is if you're the president and if you can, uh, give a pre state of <laughs> the union address saying, I'm sorry. And, uh, we'll get to that in a moment with the grand gesture. But, <laughs> uh, Jesse, what, what did you, uh, think of the, the breakup here, the, the way it played out between Andrew Shepard and,
4: uh, Sidney Ellen Wade? It's a, another classic Sorkin trope. Um, in many West Wing episodes, they, they have a, uh, ethical conundrum like we could do this to score political points if we put this in a drawer. Should we do it? Um, are we doing is this bill just uh, like there was an, a whole storyline in, in West Wing about a weapons bill that actually had no teeth? Very, very similar to this. And then also putting a piece of legislature that the other side didn't want in a drawer for votes. It happens a lot in the West Wing um, and it it works every time because that's one thing about Sorkin. He uses a lot of the same things over and over again. Or what we call Sorkinisms and they seem to always land, um, especially when you have a, someone like Michael J. Fox makes the big speech about, you know, this is what you should be focusing on. This is what you should be doing. It's another thing you see in Sorkin writing a lot, and of course it works because yeah, he knows what his fastball is, and he didn't lose it, and he still had it in, like an extremely high fastball at ninety three. Crack and cocaine, baby. It's something, <laughs> man, but it it, it worked and her That's Dwight Gooden <laughs> basketball Oh yeah. There we go.
0: Her- <laughs> Jesse go ahead and drop another promo for your podcast. I know we'd get some sports in here. We'd get some sports talk. There you go. That's
1: right. <laughs> A nice dated sports <laughs> reference.
4: Yeah. Uh her um her reaction like you said it it it's it does see, it feels really real about really real. There we go. this some great shocking language there. Uh, it it feels very genuine. That there goes her whole career. That she'll be an empty shirt from now on. She'll never be able to find another job because she trusted him, which was in 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 uh, Washington. Your first mistake when you trust any politician, and she that's that was that's got to be the thoughts that's going through her mind. Like I screwed myself here while I was worrying about screwing the president. So um, that was a double entendre for you. And uh, <laughs> you can in the when she's looking for her. sweater, so a good one. When you, you get can to see point it, it out. <laughs> Uh, when she's looking for her sweater in the 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 bedroom, it's an incredible scene because I'm like, oh, that's how exactly how me and my wife fight. This is very believable. Is it always
0: that high stakes? That's the I don't know. That sounds very stressful, <laughs> man. My life yes. is over. <laughs> yes,
4: I'm the president. She's a political operative.
0: <laughs> well, I sort of was making fun of it earlier as far as you know the president having a grand gesture in his back pocket because he he can use his apology. Uh, and he can speak to the world, doing so. So that's that's really you know throwing yourself on on the sword there. But Dave, what what did you make of uh, the breakup and how it involves the supporting characters? Because uh, you get uh, a very, I guess you would say brotherly talking to from Martin Sheen, who's often playing the good cop with uh, President Shepard, mm-hmm. and then you get the young, uh, spirited one, uh, Michael J. Fox. Who has not really, um, he's not been tainted yet, or at least what we see by the political process. He's still a bit starry eyed in what they can accomplish. Did you like how Sorkin uses, uh, the actual, uh, people in his administration and how they sort of play off of guiding Andrew through his relationship with that push and pull of like this being the right thing to do professionally, having this relationship and using her connections against her?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually a really smart decision because in one, it's it's nice that we get a breakup in a romantic comedy that isn't about it's not necessarily about you know everything there is working great. You know they're they're really great together. They really enjoy each other's company. That's all fantastic, and it's the professional side that's getting in the way. And by using these kind of two opposing forces, these two two guys in his ear telling him to do one thing, telling him to do another, in some ways for the audience, it lets it lets Andrew Shepard off the hook a little bit. So we don't come out of this like despising him for this decision he's made. Um, instead, we understand that he's under all this pressure. This push and pull is going on, and he still has to run the country. He still has to make what he feels is the smartest decision in this moment and listen to the people he hired. So I think it puts us as an audience in a really nice place where we understand uh, what Sidney Ellen Wade is going through and we understand what Andrew Shepard is going through.
0: I also really like that Martin Sheen is, as I said, the good cop and his perhaps, at least from what we know in the film, his oldest friend. Uh, is the one that allows this relationship to happen or doesn't voice concerns about it. But he's also the one that has the biggest hand in sort of ending it by using her connection and using what she's there to do against her to, to help the agenda of the the president. And it's Michael J. Fox's character who seems to be the most negative or the most cynical about this relationship is the one that really is asking him to do the thing in his professional capacity that would help him the most in his personal life. He's the one saying like, you're a better man than this. You're a better president than this. And I mm-hmm. I also really like the, uh you know, I'll never have, I don't think the opportunity to, to say this, like to break up with a president, you say, you don't have my vote anymore. I, th- I think that's, that's, that's such that's a, that's pretty good. That's, that's, that's such that's a awesome. good, that's a good walkout line. you yeah. don't have my vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if I'll ever get to.
1: <laughs> Gotta love working in a movie where Sorkin is writing. Yeah, man, you get those
0: lines. <laughs> yeah, I won't get to cross that and uh, off my bucket list in a Sorkin script or in real life. I I really doubt it at this point. <laughs> but let's let's move on to the the grand gesture here and how uh, Andrew Shepard uh, corrects himself here. And as I said, there is still a little bit of a a pep talk uh, from Good Cop Martin Sheen. Uh, he'll go on to become the better president and they sorkin verse by having a really great line that follows like a really great speech that i mentioned from michael j fox about uh, people needing a leader and uh that they'll they'll drink the sand if 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 they're only presented with a mirage uh martin sheen has the line that you know it counteracts what was said earlier which is um you know you don't fight the fights you can win you fight the fights worth fighting and of course in very uh, masculine setting over a mm-hmm. pool table, you know, where you can, <laughs> you can, of you course, know, you know, on screen, you can throw balls around. You have two men just, you know, battling, <laughs> <laughs> battling just it out. Of yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> so for me, I love it's the grand. Subtle subject. Yeah, well, I mean, Sorkin, that's why he makes the big bucks there.
3: The last couple of months, Senator Rumson has suggested that being president of this country was to a certain extent about character. And although I've not been willing to engage in his attacks on me, I've been here three years and three days. And I can tell you without hesitation, being president of this country is entirely about character. For the record... Yes, I am a card-carrying member of the ACLU. But the more important question is, why aren't you, Bob? Now, this is an organization whose sole purpose is to defend the Bill of Rights. So it naturally begs the question, why would a senator, his party's most powerful spokesman, and a candidate for president, choose to reject upholding the Constitution? Now, if you can answer that question, folks, then you're smarter than I am, because I didn't understand it until few hours ago. America isn't easy. America is advanced citizenship. You've got to want it bad, because it's going to put up a fight. It's going to say you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land is the land of the free? then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. I've known Bob Rumson for years, and I've been operating under the assumption that the reason Bob devotes so much time and energy to shouting at the rain was that he simply didn't get it. Well, I was wrong. Bob's problem isn't that he doesn't get it. Bob's problem is that he can't sell it. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things, and two things only. Making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character. And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. and You go on television and you call her a whore. Sidney Ellen Wade has done nothing to you, Bob. She has done nothing but put herself through school, represent the interest of public school teachers, and lobby for the safety of our natural resources. You want a character to debate, Bob? You better stick with me, because Sidney Ellen Wade is way out of your league. I've loved two women in my life. I lost one to cancer and I lost the other because I was so busy keeping my job I forgot to do my job. Well, that ends right now. Tomorrow morning the White House is sending a bill to Congress for its consideration. It's White House Resolution 455, an energy bill requiring a 20% reduction of the emission of fossil fuels over the next 10 years. It is by far The most aggressive stride ever taken in the fight to reverse the effects of global warming. The other piece of legislation is the crime bill. As of today, it no longer exists. I'm throwing it out. I'm throwing it out and writing a law that makes sense. You cannot address crime prevention without getting rid of assault weapons and handguns. I consider them a threat to national security, and I will go door to door if I have to, but I'm going to convince Americans that I'm right, and I'm going to get the guns. We've got serious problems, and we need serious people. And if you want to talk about character, Bob, you better come at me with more than a burning flag and a membership card. If you want to talk about character and American values, fine. Just tell me where and when, and I'll show up. This is a time for serious people, Bob, and your 15 minutes are up. My name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the
0: president. I do love, I love the grand gesture. I I love the big speech then where finally Andrew Shepard in this film verse stops taking all the slings and arrows from the uh, conservative rival he has played by uh, Richard Dreyfus, who just, man, when he plays evil, do they do they ugly this man up? I mean, he looks like a... An old toad <laughs> or something here. Just, yep. <laughs> this is the guy from Jaws and Close Encounters. My goodness, what what happened to him? But um I like I like I like the supporting staff. I actually like the speech, the the grand gesture of um Martin Sheen standing up to his friend as the president for once and sort of reclaiming maybe a little bit of that brotherhood, that sort of uh the, the fiery back and forth they had before he had the title. And uh we see that earlier in the film where Andrew is asking him to, you know, don't call him Mr. President, you know, treat me like a friend. And I I like the gesture of finally treating him like a friend and not just as a member of his staff. Uh but what about you all? What what do you make of uh the the grand gesture? Any of them here? Uh it could be the president's big speech if you want. Uh or it could be uh, you know, a net uh driving. I guess that's just driving one big circle. <laughs> Showing up, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big part of it. Uh, let's start with the, the Sorkin expert, though, because uh, that'll give time uh, to Dave to to come up with something uh, to top my Martin Sheen love here. You have to you have to go deep into this cast, but Jesse, what what do you make <laughs> of the grand gesture here?
4: Uh, I I really hate saying, it, but it's just it's it's the reason why people like me love Sorkin's stuff because he makes you he makes you really believe it you know suspending belief uh you just is so inspirational everything damn thing he writes you want to stand up and with him and and that's kind of how it is when michael j fox is making his speech that's how it is when uh president barlett aka martin sheen is making his speech and you can't help it cuz he's so good at it he's so damn good at it and then when uh michael douglas finally realizes he's being an idiot and does his thing it is also very reminiscent of uh, the way that season two of West Wing ended with President Bartlett doing kind of the same thing, like deciding he's going to run again. Um, and it's a very – it's for a West Wing act like me, it's a very weird thing to see Michael Douglas doing the same thing, but I loved it. And I, I think it's – there's so many points in this movie where I'm like, oh, this is just this is just Sorkin. Oh, Sorkin's Sorkin on fire. Sorkin's heating up. And then you can just feel it <laughs> building. Like if you've seen a lot of his stuff, even like sports night or studio 60 or the social network, there's so many times in those things where you're like, Oh, Hey, here he goes. He's about to, he's about to go off. And then he does it. And you're like, yeah, it's still good. I know it's coming. It's still good. It's like great horror movies. Like, you know, it's coming, but you're like, ah, I love it. Like that's how every time one of his speeches comes, it's exactly what I'm waiting for. And he delivers every time.
0: Dave, do you think that, cause I think Sorkin's fans are probably going to lean a little bit more, uh, to the left. Um, Do you think that there's enough movie magic here? (laughs) A little. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it is strange because you know this was a a a mainstream success back then. I don't remember this film uh, being like heavily seen as like oh that's only for those people. You know, it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, Do you think this movie works even if you're more conservative leaning as far as uh, as Jesse alluded to? You get into the sort of rah rah spirit of these speeches, and you're with the characters because you like the characters. Maybe if you're you disagree with him politically.
1: I don't know. I think I think this is I mean, I think this is a really liberal movie. Like a lot of a lot, obviously a lot of the talking points lean pretty heavily to the liberal side. And even even the interactions here, even the fact of having a president dating, like this is this is only something that would happen with a democratic president. Like with the <laughs> yeah, Republicans if they were being, you know, they'd for be underage. decades. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Roy Moore. In Alabama, um, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think, you know, them being the kind of the party of family values for all these decades, I think it's it's kind of a hard pill pill to swallow here. Um, so I think it's definitely for liberals. And I think the fact that, you know, a big talking point in this is, you know, taking away the guns, I think really hammers that point home. But I think in terms of the grand gesture, like for me, it's that last speech because it does it does two really important things. One, it It poises Andrew Shepard as someone not to be messed with, like him dropping that final line of, I am the president, I think really works. I mean, Sorkin really, I mean, you kind of, Jesse, you kind of mentioned this, that he knows how to build, uh, not only within this speech, but within this movie, and it's You know, you compared it to a horror movie. To me, it's like an action movie. You never want to have your best action scene in the very beginning of the movie or in the middle. You want to save that for the climax of the film. And the same way here, this speech has to really land. Because if it doesn't, I think the movie kind of falls on its face. But the other important thing he does is take a moment in his speech, as, as Mike, you were talking about, he has the opportunity here. He's got the kind of, the uh, the kind of uh, ace, ace up his sleeve where he can, you know, defend the honor of Sidney Ellen Wade to the nation. And for him to say like, oh, you want to get in a battle of character with me? That's fine. But you better not come after Sidney Ellen Wade because, you know, you're not in her league. And it's, you know, it's a nice little moment where you can tell how much he cares about her and she gets to hear that, but it still works in the kind of, kind of the the political nature of the speech, it doesn't seem that outlandish.
0: I mean, it also helps that he he drops the I've loved two women in my life, and she makes that that very short oh, list that's there good. to the public, yeah. professing my dead love.
4: wife and Sydney Wade. Yeah. Does anyone hate the Sydney Wade thing besides me? I, I, I just the name. I, I mean, I'm from mm. the south, and we use two names for everything. They Everyone calls me first name over and it over again. Mm-hmm. All over and over and over. And I'm like Jesus Christ. Can you just call her Sydney? Like why? Why do we have to do this all the Sid. time? Like, geez. Yes. it
0: does. It does like, set cool. her up as a possible uh, assassin. I thought. Or, hey. or serial <laughs> killer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, it does. John Wayne Gacy, Sydney Ellen Wade. It's
0: close. They're the same. Pretty much. Um, well, I mean, she does, you know, to go back to your <laughs> horror movie analogy, you know, she's there. She's right there outside the door in the Oval Office. I mean, uh, as I said, her her big grand gesture <laughs> is to just, right just to show up. <laughs> just to
4: show up at the White House. <laughs> no pass, nothing. Doesn't I, matter.
0: I will say, I mean, I'm making fun of it, but I do like that. And it is, of course, has to be verbalized. But by her being there so quickly, you know, it does show that, she, she was ready to, to, to fall for this man. Like she, she was already willing to concede or put aside, you know, their, their differences professionally. And she wasn't, it wasn't that she had to hear as she says that the, Oh, good. Yeah. We're going to put this bill back on the table. Okay. I guess, uh, I guess we'll continue this then because I think that would, <laughs> that would be hard. And it's a balancing act, a balancing act for the audience to, to kind of set that aside because it is so important to their relationship. It's how they meet. It's why they break up. You don't, I don't think you want to be totally comfortable with this, this woman just giving up her career for this man because he, he like came to his senses. So I I do like that. It's sort of interjected, but we don't really know the movie's over with so quickly. I mean, it ends with flowers. I mean, this is, this is pretty much like it is embracing the fact that this is a romance film. And I'm guessing that's what Redford wanted in his original pitch of I'm the president.
4: And I date. <laughs> can we uh, talk I about her roses. transformation? It's perfect. <laughs>
0: What's that? I'm sorry.
4: Can, can we talk about her transformation? When she first gets to the White House on the first day, she tells the, the security guard where she's from. And she's never been there mm-hmm. before. She's all doughy eyed. And then she does a state dinner and you're like, Oh wow. She cleans up now. Oh, she's all pretty and witty. And then to this, where she just shows up at the White House. Like, over this two-hour movie, you see a huge transformation in this character and her comfortable, comfortability with being with the president and how like her entire persona changes from that first meet and greet you see with her with uh, the woman who's in everything in the 90s. I can't remember her name um, when the first time to the White House is when, she, when we have this big reveal that she forgives him.
0: Are are you talking about Samantha Mathis? Is that the.
4: Yes, yes. She's in everything in the 90s. I had that same thought
0: too, because I was like, man, she was like, every time I watch this, I'm, of course, I think of that, uh, what's that horrible, that uh, John Wynn movie with John Travolta and Christian Slater. That's the one I think of. Like, oh, she's going to go off. Broken Arrow. She's going to leave this. She's going to leave this job and and hunt down nukes in the (laughs) desert with uh, Pump Up the Volume. So. uh, (laughs) The
1: um, Extended Universe. I
0: like it. (laughs) That's how I operate. Um, I, I, I agree with that point. I like, I like her. There's this emphasis on how she presents herself. And by the end of it, she's like just showing up like in a sweatshirt. Even the, uh, the sex scene, um, which I, I like <laughs> with, with, uh, right. it, it feels like Sorkin is writing himself, which I think he's probably been accused of, like a lot of writers are, uh, writing, you know, the same character. But I felt like it was Sorkin maybe taking himself to task for overthinking or having the Sorkin, like ism dialogue that the president is presenting the sex plan or how they're going to approach sex like how do you have sex with the president who is me here's how i can make you more comfortable <laughs> and, uh, i love that you know it's uh you know it's a, a yet another trope which comes out in uh the the shirt like his shirt it's like a men's shirt basically and it's like suddenly he uh he has that great line about you know his sexual prowess is not tied to his uh, title that <laughs> the, the the power does not equate to the, the most wedding. powerful man in yeah. the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I'm getting at though is I, I think it's a good point because I think the way Annette bidding plays it is because she really does totally disarm the president and the audience. She's a very disarming character in that way. and And she makes a lot yeah. of this stuff work that could be... It could be an issue, I think, for like a female lead in this romance, especially dating the president. She makes it very endearing and very
4: likable. The only other A-list yeah. back then I think it would be good at would have been like, early 90s Sandra Bullock, like when she was in A Time to Kill. Like He believed her in A Time to Kill. And I think she could maybe pull this off, but I, I think Annette Bening was gr- perfectly cast because she was so unsuspecting. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, I do believe this. I believe that she has this this while about her and I believe she's smart and witty, and at the same time, she's doe-eyed. It was very believable portrayal by her.
0: Yeah, I would say like Sandra Bullock probably like, as you said, sort of gained that. But yeah, I definitely can't see the, while you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock working in a subway <laughs> <laughs> like uh, or Speed. You know, she was she was very. She would be one of the uh, the Detroit Three maybe in this world. She'd be <laughs> it'd be automotive <laughs> for Sandra B <laughs> at that time. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um all right, so that's enough of uh, the, the Mike's weird cinematic universe, but um uh, uh, the the other thing is we talked a lot about Sorkin. Does this one hold up uh if you're a Sorkin fan? Like if you're coming to it late. We've you know compared a lot to the West Wing. Uh there's like Dave like a social network or Moneyball fan. Do you think they'd go back to this and Get as much out of it. I think I don't
1: think so because I think there it this is. is
0: so
1: negative. you could <laughs> hear Sorkin in this for sure. but this is definitely to me the lightest for Sorkin, just because of the genre it is. So if you're used to like Moneyball and social network and even the West Wing, some of this can feel a little bit frivolous, I guess. Like it's still an enjoyable movie, but one you have to be in the mood for. And that mood isn't necessarily just
0: I like Sorkin. You don't like the obsession with flowers. You don't like the the callback to to the president and his quest the, to get flowers. The dogwood. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I liked all of it. I like that he he has the, the ultimate. It's a little you know, much. I liked it. I've got a rose garden, and he like drops the mic. He like he gets in his, like, this. If I'm Cute. if I'm yeah. this assassin uh, Sidney Allen Wade, I'm like, what is his obsession with fucking flowers? Like, why does he <laughs> why does he keep bringing this up? What is happening? Um, uh, but no, I, obviously for me, it, it holds up cause I revisit, uh, almost on an annual basis. I just, I just think it's, it's fun. I just, I just like, I like hanging out with these people. Uh, I, I like movies about nice earnest people and that's this, I mean, even though they're incredibly powerful and they're going to come take my guns, they still seem like they're going to be nice about it. So Jesse, let's get you out of here. Um, uh, you know, and we'll we'll shout out back to your your podcast where I'm assuming guns can come up. It is a true crime show, <laughs> yes. Uh, and and there are sports. So you know, if we can ever make that Moneyball episode work, we we know just the man to call. But uh, tell people where they can uh, follow your podcast, follow you, and listen to your shows.
4: Uh, well, so Field of Screams is on all the main platforms: iTunes, Google Play, all that kind of stuff. I uh, I have the technological prowess of like an 80 year old man, so I'm not really. <laughs> up on all that uh but yeah we cover uh anything from aaron hernandez to the 96th olympic bombings to mike vick uh we're we're all over the place and um i think one one good crossover may be the new uh tanya harding movie that's coming out starring margot robbie there you go, uh, there you go. Uh, yeah we're we're gonna cover the her scene even though i'm not really i don't really want to because it's been it's been beating the ground pretty hard uh, but not, not a lot of great rom coms about crime and sports, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> no. Yet. <laughs> yes.
0: Challenge accepted. Somebody call Sorkin. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Grand Gesture. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, we are at Grand Gesture Pod. Hopefully, you're already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or your pod player of choice. If so, you will get our very next episode, which will be on "You've Got Mail." Which, if you've listened to any of my previous podcasts, pretty much any of them, you'll know how much I love this movie and how much pain is going to cause Dave to have to listen to me rattle on about it for forty minutes. But at least it's got Tom Hanks, so he'll survive, and so will you.
2: Hello.
3: Hi. What are you doing? Uh
2: just trying on dresses.
3: Listen, I feel terrible, but I'm gonna have to cancel our date tonight.
2: Another woman? Oh,
3: gotta go to St. Louis to avert a bird massive airlines strike.
2: Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that one. Well, thanks
3: for understanding, and I'll call you later this evening. Okay. Bye. Oh, I hate doing that. She was trying on dresses. I tell any girl I'm going out with to assume that all plans are soft until she receives confirmation from me 30 minutes beforehand.
0: And they find this romantic?
2: Well, I say with a great deal of charm.
3: Look, look, there it is, Carmen's house of flowers. Hey, Coop, we got to stop. What? I got to get her some flowers. Here? Now? Well, that's what men do when they break a date. That's not what men do. I know no men who do that. Hey, Coop, I'm going to hop out at the flower shop. You going to hop out, sir? No, he's not hopping. No, no hopping, sir. Stay in the car. I'll get the flowers. Then it's not going to be personal. At least let the agents do a security sweep. We don't know who's in there. You think there's a florist in there planning an assassination on the off chance I might be stopping by?
2: It's possible you think the water but I will to be someone there to pull you out.